everyone, and welcome to Sort of My Podcast number 81. My name is Vincent Herman, Vin the Human, sitting to my left. This is Vinny Herman, Vinny Wise. Okay, so we got Vinny Wise moving up to, uh, I'm not going to say podcast regular yet. You all have every opinion on every subject, but uh, we're going to we're gonna try you out on a few of these. Uh, so anytime you got an opinion, and I know some of these you got an opinion about, yeah. uh, feel free to jump in on the conversation. Otherwise, it's business as usual. And the first order of business, shout outs. I want to give a quick shout out to John Hancock for the awesome combo about uh, whose fault it was in Infinity War. Uh, you got to check out the comments on the all your fault Star-Lord meme that I posted to the Sword of My Comics Facebook page. But, uh, yeah, pretty good back and forth. Uh, I, it was really riveting. Boba Fett, Bob Collins was even very uh, enticed by it. So, yeah. Anyways, go check that out, guys. Thank you so much for the good combo, John. Moving on. We're going to talk about trailers here. First trailer we're talking about, scary stories to tell in the dark. Now, son... I know you may not be too familiar with these books, so let no. me, yeah, let me give you a quick, uh, quick intro into what we're talking about here, because I know you've seen the trailer. Yeah, uh, a series of three children's horror books, heavily featuring folklore and urban legends as the topic of their stories, uh, that were written by Alvin Schwartz and uh, illustrated by Stefan uh, Gamel. And uh, these were actually produced, and I did not know this because I thought they came out when I was a kid, uh, between 1984 and 1991, uh, notably known for their original illustrations. And I say that because in 2011, during the 30th anniversary, uh, they actually released new, less horrific imagery with it, and uh, it it caused a wave through the fans. Uh, These were even banned. In, in a lot of schools in the early 90s when I was a kid, and it became, like, this kind of legend. Like, these were already, like, really infamous with kids of my generation, uh, but then this was, like, just that one more thing, like, oh, yeah, not only is it scary, but did you hear, like, parents are banning it? Schools are taking it out, burning it in the streets and stuff? Like, that, that wasn't actually happening, but you know how schoolyard bullshit can be. Uh, some of these stories in these books are classics that everyone knows, like the hook on the door handle, the girl who gets a ride, and it turned out she died years ago, uh, Legend of the Wendigo. Uh, then you have ones that I remember from my childhood, like the kid who finds a toe in his yard, and then him and his family decide to eat it for some reason. Uh, there's the scarecrow, which... Slowly... Yes, thank you. Slowly shows more life until it ends up skinning one of the farmers uh, and drying his skin out on the roof. Uh, there's a butcher who who's turning people into sausage until the townsfolk find out about it. They turn him into sausage. And then one of my favorites, one of the creepiest ones, is uh, there's a story about this woman who's driving down like the the highway. This guy keeps flashing his high beams at her, and it's freaking her out. So she decides to take like a side road. He follows her. He she takes another road. He follows her down that. He follows her all the way home. And once she gets there, she gets out of the car. He gets out of his. He's got a gun in hand. And it turns out the whole time there was a man in her back seat 
trying to kill her. And the only thing that threw him off was the high beams. So it turns out the guy following her the whole time was saving her life. It's an amazing story. Fantastic story. Um, I don't know if that will play a part in this movie, but it seems like a lot of these stories are going to play like elemental roles in an overarching story uh, rather than the movie being a series of anthology stories like the books. Now, son, I know I've seen this movie. I know you've seen this movie. What does that sound like? Uh, wait, when what? did we see this movie? <laughs> I'm not talking about this movie. I'm talking about the movie. This sounds like a series of books cobbled together goosebumps. to make one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very, very goosebumps elemental here. Uh, but it's more like raid or version of goosebumps. Well, yeah, it is a, well, headphones fell off there for a second. It is a very intense version of Goosebumps. Uh, furthering both of those points, uh, the synopsis for the film reads, Removed from the unrest in the cities is a small town of Mill Valley where, for generations, the shadows of the Bellows family has loomed large. It is in their mansion on the edge of town that Sarah, a young girl with horrible secrets, turned her tortured life into the, a series of scary stories written in a book that transcends time. Stories that have a way of becoming all too real for a group of teenagers who discover Sarah's terrifying home. Uh, definitely playing on iconic imagery from the books. Son, I know you haven't read these books. Uh, Vinny Wise, you are a young generation still brimming with possibilities in your intake of storytelling. And I'm going to try and find you these books because I think they're right up your alley. I, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen... The, the scarecrow. Well, you saw the scarecrow. You saw like the, the creepy, like fat ghoul thing in the hallway. Like all of that stuff is kind of like exactly what you see in these books. The girl that I think like was turned into a spider. No, 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 no. That is, uh, that is from a story in the books called red, red spot. I want to say it's called the red spot. Hello. All right, there we go. Hey, yeah, that works. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. uh, but that is actually a story about a, a girl who uh, gets bit by a spider in her sleep and it lays eggs in her cheek and they all end up hatching. That's going to be a nuts part of that movie. So what do you think? You're you're getting a lot more into horror these days as a young man in his budding teen years does. Uh, what do you think about this? Is this up your alley? Is this something? Probably. Yeah, probably. What yeah. what what was the most shocking thing you saw in the trailer? The the uh, red spot thing. No, no, I'm no, ghoul lady. Oh really? Yes. Oh, Not wow. the fat girl. Both of them. Back the, up the mic a little bit. Not both of them. The ones I don't know. She was like more translucent, more of a ghost type character. Oh, that was the creepy. Interesting, very interesting. See, I would have said probably the scarecrow, but then again, I know how that story plays out. So, <laughs> so that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, moving on from there, though, we're gonna talk about. Cobra Kai season two. Yet another thing you won't be able to talk about too much. Uh, I think I show I showed you I the only first know it because it's from the Karate Kid. Yeah, and, and I, I and hell, you haven't even seen the Karate Kid in years, like a long time. You don't even remember it. 
So no, we're just gonna, only the fight scene. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to fix that for sure. But uh, in this trailer, though, it looks like John Kreese, the original Cobra Kai sensei for, uh, sensei from the first sensei. film, yeah, sensei uh, has got still got it. He kicks the crap out of uh, Johnny right in the beginning of this trailer. So uh, no secrets there about his ability. Uh, it also seems like Cobra Kai is going to go full villain in this season, maybe because of Kreese's influence. Uh, but unlike last season, uh, where it actually kind of subverted expectations, you didn't know where these characters were going to fall. Some of them seemed like they were going to be good. They turned bad. Some of them seemed like they were going to be bad. They turned good. Uh, there are going to be some new recruits, most notably the badass new chick Tori, who, uh, was featured Heavily in this trailer has some crazy spiked brass knuckles. I wouldn't want to be on the other end of those things. Uh, Johnny and Miguel actually seem to be conflicted in this trailer too uh, about everything that's going on. So we may see a possible uh, allegiance turn. And speaking of the other side of the aisle, uh, Miyagi Do Karate has become a full-blown dojo. LaRusso is hell-bent on ridding the valley of Cobra Kai once and for all. Uh, and if I have one theory here, it's that this show is going to end in its third season with Johnny and Danny teaming up to take down Cobra Kai. I would love to see that rivals for years come together in one singular goal to take down this evil entity in the valley. All the while, uh, you're the best around. Nothing's ever got a champion out. It's playing in the background. I need it. I need that in my life, son. I need that. Uh, they're going to be some new and classic training techniques, a great soundtrack, cruel summer cover by Carrie Kimmel. Wow. Awesome. Some intense confrontations, including Danny versus Johnny, which didn't happen in the first season. We all wanted it. They teased it, but it didn't happen. And so now we know we're going to get it because we see it in this trailer. Uh, something though you can finally talk about something you can weigh in on here. We're going to talk about the Joker trailer. Uh, wow. I, I went from, I don't care at all about this to being so seriously blown away. And, and now I also need this son. I need all these things that are happening. I need them. <laughs> so anyways, uh, what did you think about this trailer? How did it strike you? I really liked it. It came to a person that just tried to make the world better for him. Mm-hmm. Arthur Fleck. Yeah. And how people were just bringing him down into, like, to where he can take everything out on the people or something. So you're, what you get from this is that he, he is a nice guy. And the world be just nice, kind of actually. beats this... Of yeah. that niceness out of him until he snaps. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, I'm kind of on the Do other where? side of that. I, I like what I find most interesting about this is, is as I see it, the Joker or a fleck, if you will, you get it. Yeah. Affleck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, I think he's actually a disturbed individual uh, before he puts on this persona of the Joker, uh, which means this version isn't a psychotic break. He wasn't, a good guy and then got broken into this. I feel like this mania, this like need to lash out was already there. There was already something broken. I feel like his relationship with his mother is really uncouth. 
I feel like we're on like Norman Bates territory here. And if like she wanted him to start killing people, he would. And then she dies much like Norman Bates, mother. And then he does start killing people like Norman Bates, except for this guy is trying to be a comedian at the same time. But yeah, uh, I think, uh, I think I'm on the opposite side, but we'll see how that plays out. I mean, it really could go either way. He could really just be a genuine nice guy who has kind of a weird relationship with his mom, but there's nothing wrong there. And then she dies and he doesn't know what to do. And the world just kind of breaks him. And he might kill Bruce's parents. I I am saying this. The one thing I think is horribly predictable from this trailer, I think we're definitely going to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight on this one. We're definitely going to see... not Jack Napier. I wanted to say Jack Napier. No, we are definitely going to see Arthur Fleck kill the Waynes. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Bob was talking about how uh, it could be a situation where he kidnaps the Waynes rather than, like, jumping them in an alley on the way out of a theater. He kidnaps the Waynes, ends up killing them that way. You know, kind of taking the trail of Batman down a different alley, if you will. But uh, it also seems like uh, he's going to end up gaining some sort of notoriety that is unless he ends up killing the guy who's actually supposed to show up on this Alec Baldwin talk show or whatever. But yeah, Joaquin Phoenix astounds, but I I wasn't really worried about his ability. We know he's a good actor. Uh, I know you've seen the Johnny Cash film, Walk the Line. Walk the Line, yeah. Yep. He's he's been great in everything I've ever seen him in. There's a fantastic movie called Her where he enters into a relationship with an AI computer that he buys. Uh there I mean Gladiator, he is fantastic as uh I want to say the Emperor. I can't remember exactly the name of the character, but he was great in the my, my mom was telling me which I don't really believe her about this. But she was telling me how Walking Phoenix, how he got his, like, iconic slash right here. Mm-hmm. And the how, scar on his face. Yeah, and how creepy what happened in his childhood. I was like, I don't believe any of this. Well, your mother your mother would be a little bit more of an authority on that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah. She she always loved the, the Phoenix saga, if you will, to, to equate it to comic books. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, though, we've got a... Big trailer. You guys may have heard about this. It is called Star Wars Episode 9. Star Wars Celebration is in full swing. Episode IX. (laughs) Or Episode IX. Star Wars Celebration is in full swing. Guys, there's still so much more. Before we started recording tonight, uh, the trailer dropped for Jedi Fallen Order, which looks really good. We'll talk about that on the next episode. But I figured we'd go through this beat by beat. We'd talk about this part by part. Break down this trailer a little bit. Uh, First of all, we continue the tradition of a black screen with heavy breathing, as we have with the other films. But more importantly, uh, this opening scene with Rey in the desert and this TIE fighter bearing down on her. I'm pretty sure that's Kylo Ren's TIE fighter. Could not be. But if it is his TIE fighter, that I think that means Rey is actually training with Kylo Ren in the desert. Probably. I mean, it just doesn't make sense if she's being attacked that the ship isn't firing on her. Yeah. Like, why would it not fire on her? We've seen these ships fire on people on the ground before. So it's not like it's not capable. 
So and she was in a position. Right. Yes. She she took positions. She started running, and it almost seemed timed, plotted out like it was a training exercise. Uh, also, we see a reconstructing of Kylo Ren's helmet, which uh, many people have already joked is signifying J.J. Abrams fixing what Rain Johnson broke. We're not going to go into all that. I refuse to talk about episode eight with people. Uh, maybe I'd talk about it with you. I wouldn't mind talking about it with you. You liked the movie, right? Yeah. Last Jedi? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, Lando in the Falcon. What did you think about that? I really liked that. I think it's been a long time since you've seen the original trilogy, but it should be fresh enough in your mind to where you know the significance of that. That's big. You've seen Solo, so you know the, the Falcon was Lando's. And also... Uh, I, uh, if you pay attention, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. Uh, I'm pretty sure Lando is actually wearing the same clothes he's wearing in Solo, a Star Wars story. So, uh, a little bit the of sharing. that Donald Glover was wearing. Yes. Uh, a little bit of a bridging of the franchise gaps there and stuff. Very nice. Uh, I think the most powerful part of this trailer, though, uh, well, it equally comes hand in hand with the next part we're going to talk about, but there's the part where Ray and Leia are embracing over top of it. We hear the voiceover of Luke saying, we'll always be with you. And Ray is crying. And that just, that just means so much because these characters are dead. Han is dead. Luke is dead. Leia might die in this film, but even if not, Carrie Fisher is dead, but as they have left this legacy in Star Wars, they will always be with us. No matter what, we will always have these characters, these legacies, these stories to hold on to. And yes, it is tragic that it has to come to an end. This is the final film in the Skywalker saga. But uh, all the same, it is beautiful and and heartwarming. And I know it doesn't mean as much to you as it does to me because I've got, what, 30 years of loving these films uh, you, you've been pretty much aware of them maybe the past seven, <laughs> seven years. I, I know the first film you ever saw in theaters, I took you to go see, uh, what the re-release of episode one in 3d. Do you remember anything about that day? No, just the video <laughs> that you showed me. Nope. Exactly. It was mostly a special moment for me, but you showed me that video at the end. Yes. I, I have shown you, you talking about the movie and what your favorite parts were like, uh, Darth Maul getting cut in half, but uh, I my friends, I was like, guys, I don't care if you laugh. And I type, and then I typed up sort of my, what is it? Sort of my, sort of my comics. No, sort of my review. Oh, the amazing Spider-Man. Oh, it was at the bit. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I was, and then everyone was hurt. Uh, Doctor Connor died. Something <laughs> like that. I don't remember. It's an adorable video. You were so fucking young. Uh, I miss those days somewhat. Uh, anyways, uh, the whole thing wraps up with the remnants of the second Death Star uh, being discovered by Ray, Finn, Poe, and the gang, uh, which I believe means they're likely going to end up on the forest moon of Endor with the Ewoks, and then we hear the Emperor's laugh, a character we have not seen uh, canonically since uh, Return of the Jedi. Amazing way to end this film. Like, because we never saw a body. We don't know the Emperor died. 
So he could still be alive. He could still be behind all of this. That would be insane. Uh, and then we get the the revealed title, The Rise of Skywalker. What does that mean? Because I'm going to say it right now. I don't think Rey is a Skywalker. No. I don't think she is. So no. what does this mean? Is it Skywalker legacy? Are we talking Maybe about... Maybe she sees all the Skywalkers. She's got Luke, Obi-Wan, Anakin. He's not a Skywalker. Huh? Obi-Wan's not a Skywalker. I know, but you know how Luke saw them. Yeah, um, you're talking about the Force Ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point. It seems like Luke's voiceover in this trailer, he could be talking to Rey, and if that's the case, then he must be Force projecting as a Force Ghost, like we have saw in Yoda in the last film. Still one of my favorite moments of the whole movie. Uh, but yeah, we've seen it. Uh, we, we're aware that... Qui-Gon Jinn is capable of this as well because if you pay attention to the dialogue in the prequels in the third movie, I'm pretty sure it's in the third movie. Yoda tells Obi-Wan he needs to commune with the force so he can learn this power from Qui-Gon. So Obi-Wan learns that move from Qui-Gon after Qui-Gon dies. It's insane. So much lore here. So much going on. I can see you like just rolling, rolling over in the whole thing. You're like, okay, all right. Well, we're going to watch these movies soon enough. And we are. We're doing a full marathon getting ready for episode nine. Uh, so, no need to talk about any more Star Wars. Instead, let's talk about more Star Wars. <laughs> because Disney Plus, uh, Disney actually confirmed multiple rumors about the upcoming Disney Plus streaming service during the Walt Disney Company's Investor Day presentation, as well as announcing some brand new information, some brand new shows and documentaries. So let's dig into this one by one. First, Disney Plus is going to launch November 12th with a $6.99 a month price point or $69.99 annually if you want to save some money. Uh, then, circling back to Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars series The Mandalorian, the very first ever live-action Star Wars television series, is going to be available on launch day. Day one. People like me, who are so excited for almost anything Star Wars, are going to get to dig into The Mandalorian. It is still unknown whether it'll be they're going to drop the whole series or whether they're going to go week to week like DC Universe does with Titans and Doom Patrol and stuff. Uh, but we also got more Star Wars news in the form of uh, the new season, Star Wars The Clone Wars, which is previously announced, uh, is going to premiere sometime within the first year. So it's going to be one of the earlier titles coming to the platform, and it will consist of 12 all-new episodes. And the also previously announced Cassian Andor live-action series that will star uh, Diego Luna uh, also got some news. Alan Tudyk is also coming to reprise his Rogue One role as K2SO. And he was one of the best parts of that whole movie. And Alan Tudyk is just one of the best parts of watching anything. So, yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, on the Marvel side of things, two Marvel documentaries will be exclusive to Disney+. Plus. First, Marvel's Hero Project will focus on several real-life young people making positive change in their communities and will be available on launch day as well. So again, day one, you're going to get to watch that. And also, Marvel 616, a documentary series that is going to explore the historical, cultural, and societal connections between Marvel stories and the real world. Something I, I cannot wait for. 
I, I was talking earlier about one of the favorite documentaries that I own is kind of this like from beginning to end conception to at least at that time realization birth of Superman and life of Superman and it is called look up in the sky oh it's raining so uh, sorry if you guys hear rain in the background <laughs> so that's, we've got two windows open anyway and maybe it'll provide some nice little ambiance for the podcast um, oh yeah also, pre-Investor Day news, previously announced, uh, it was reported that by Variety that Hawkeye is actually getting his own series on the platform starring Jeremy Renner and will be an, an adventure story in which Clint passes the torch, torch, the tort, uh, maybe a nice strawberry tort to Kate Bishop, who in the comics, some of you may know, actually is uh, a legacy character she is hawkeye uh so that is great because they also have stated in the past these series these shows are going to affect the movies moving forward so while we'll be losing clint barton jeremy renner as hawkeye we're still gonna have a hawkeye we're gonna have the new hawkeye for future films uh moving on from there the Scarlet Witch and the Vision series was uh, officially confirmed along with Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany reprising the roles. And the title of the series, really WandaVision. weird. Vision. Yeah, WandaVision. And not just WandaVision, which is weird enough, but it's all one word together. And the W and the V are both capitalized. Why not just call it The Vision and Scarlet Witch? Like the comic book. That is... This is likely going to be based off of. I don't know. Uh, it's really weird decision, but fine. You know what? I still want to see it. Um, also, the first ever confirmed MCU lo uh, series, uh, Loki, Loki, got an update. Uh, it's going to be slated for some time in the plat platform's second year, pushing it behind all of the other upcoming MCU series. So a little bit of weirdness there, too. Like, this is the first one you told us about. You confirmed and it's way down the road. Uh, but also confirmed was the still untitled, or no, not untitled. We found this out uh, in the meantime. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be a series that will star Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan reprising their roles. Uh, and will be the first MCU uh, series hitting Disney Plus sometime in its first year. And mark my words, this show is going to be, uh, is going to be, Crowning the new Captain America. Because we know Chris Evans, he's stepping out. He's on his way out. We need a new one. And both of these guys have played him in the comics before. Or not played him. I'm sorry. Been Captain America in the comics before. Uh, finally, we also got an announcement of a brand new animated Marvel What If series. Uh, coming in the first year as well. The first episode of which uh, will show what it would look like if... Peggy Carter had actually taken the super soldier serum instead of Steve, Steve Rogers. Uh, while another is going to look at what would happen if Loki got Thor's hammer instead of Thor. Mjolnir. The Mjolnir. 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 Or if you ask Kat Dennings, meow meow or whatever. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, no, that sounds really interesting too. I'm always down for some what if stories. Son, you've read a what if story before mm -hmm. about the it's, symbiote. It's Jacob's. Oh yeah, that one belonged to Jacob. But still, you got to read it. I got plenty yeah. of them you, uh, that you can read and stuff. These ones are actually not necessarily based off of 
uh, what if comic stories, but they are based off of comic stories. Uh, a recent uh, picture of the new Loki series that's uh, coming up shows him holding and flipping uh, Mjolnir, while uh, Peggy Carter being Captain America is actually from an alternate universe that recently uh, made an appearance from uh, some Marvel event. There's too many happening constantly. <laughs> but and from there, we've, we're not going to go ahead and talk about any of that phone booth news right now because we've got a pretty big getting caught up segment coming up here. And so I just want to get right into that for time's sake. Uh, guys, the one thing we're going to talk about today, the one thing we've gotten caught up on, Detective Comics number 1000. Yep. Big book, 80 years of the bat, 80 years of Detective Comics. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and break this down one by one. But first of all, you wanted to talk about your cover. Oh, yeah. I really, really like it. Mine's sideways. If you hold it in reading position, yeah, it's, if you it's hold sideways. It in read yeah. Position, you're like, somebody looks at your cover and you're like, what happened to your cover? Oh, it's just Batman. Yeah, you just got to turn it vertical. And then you can, like, see Batman hold the Joker. You can see a bunch of the other villains. Like, uh, There's a lot going on there. Guys, if yeah. you want to check this cover out, just uh, look up the Detective Comics number 1000 cover by Jim Lee. His cover is actually the regular cover. Technically, it is the regular cover, but it's a variant in the way that instead of being wrapping around the whole book, it is just all right there on the front page, splash page type thing. And uh, I actually have three covers. Uh, I bought the original, the, the main cover, so I could collect it. Uh, I got the 1930s cover. I'm pretty sure this is the 1930s. Uh, and a 1940s cover done by Bruce Timm. And, uh, but this 1930s cover, it is all they had at the time, is really cool. Shows his classic costume. He's taking on the KKK. It's just beautiful artwork. It's just, wow. yeah, it's a really fascinating cover. It's got the old Detective Comics logo style. It's, a, it's got the old picture of the Batman. It says, The Batman, Detective Comics. Pretty great. Pretty great. I'm really happy with that. I wasn't $10. at first. That's really Yeah, we're talking this. about a $10 book here for sure. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and dig into this thing, man. Let's let's get started on this book. The first uh, first story in here is, is called The, the Longest, Longest Case, Case by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And uh, it's a really interesting detective story, isn't it? Yeah. Like you, 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 you get to follow Batman on this whole wild, story wild chase for like years yeah yeah it spans months or weeks and then months and then years of the yeah. batman's life him just trying to solve this overarching mystery about um a museum piece that had been replaced no a business management supposedly killed by his son Okay, that's what. Yeah, says. that that is true. I, I did think it. Oh, no, there there's a museum piece later that gets like he has to track that down and stuff. But it all leads him to the guild. I don't I don't even yeah. know what their official name is, but I think they're just called the guild. Yeah, and there's detectives such as the question Hawkeye and Hot Girl, and a detective named like Slam Brady. Yeah, uh, you also have Detective Chimp in there, Martian Manhunter. There's some people yeah. off in the background I didn't notice the first time that I looked at this. But yeah, basically, this was all just an elaborate plan to get Batman oh, into the society. And they yeah. kind of rib him a little bit, going like, it took you this long? World's greatest detective and stuff? Look at this. 
I love this cover too. Oh yeah, the the inside uh, that. Uh, the yeah. the very inside of the cover is modeled after uh, the first appearance of the Batman. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, really, really cool story. I feel like this is going to have more implications in the future moving forward with Batman comics. This guild may play a bigger part. I know they're a part of uh, they're an important part of Dark Knight's metal, which is uh, which this is probably circling back to, which was also a story done by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. Moving on from there, though, we have Manufacture for Use by Kevin Smith and Jim Lee. I think I love I love at the end of um the longest case. Where it shows that Batman in every one of these um, cases, he's in the very beginning. Like it shows that it's like open a case, any case, and take a look. I think you'll see that, but you're always only at the very beginning. Yeah, meaning that every case is going to have a bigger overarching thing. Like you're only ever at the beginning. Uh, moving on from there, though, manufacture for use again by. Kevin Smith and Jim Lee. Let's let's talk about that one because I I I don't know if this is my favorite, but I do love this story. Uh, it, it is essentially uh, kind of tricking you into thinking there's this man looking for the gun that killed the Waynes. Turns out it was Batman the whole time. Uh, but throughout the book, we we get this like kind of from yeah, the sellers. Like, it shows like all of his enemies. That he's facing, they're always like shooting his logo. Yeah, and, and uh, oh yeah, you know what? I didn't even notice that before. Yeah, every single one of them is doing something to his chest or shooting his his yeah. emblem or whatever. Like uh, like Mister Freeze shooting it, the Penguin stabbing it, mm-hmm. Zaz slashing mm. at it, uh, Harley Quinn hitting it with her mallet, Bane. Uh, yeah, every single one gets a gets a piece of this thing, but. As we move forward in the book, it's really revealed that Batman is the guy buying the gun. And even Alfred protests to this because Alfred believes he's adding it to the collection uh, to be uh, put on display amongst the giant penny and the T-Rex and all that. But turns out Batman is actually melting this down. And he has the I love this. um, I love this uh, quote here. It says, so the metal that broke my heart as a child that same metal will protect my heart as a man, and that is justice. And he actually is now using the gun, the melted-down gun that killed his parents, that created Batman, as a way to protect the life of the Batman. And that's just beautiful. That's just fantastic storytelling right there. Uh, moving on from there, we have uh, The Legend of Newt Brody by Paul Dini and Dustin Naguyan. Uh, this is actually a story told from the perspective of villains who have worked with this infamous bumbling henchman who every one of them has thought he died. Uh, yeah, he worked with me, he died. Uh, but he always yeah, keeps he coming was. back. Uh, again, fantastic use of Batman's master disguise techniques because turns out not only he, but the Bat family members in general have actually been Newt Brody this whole time, messing up criminals' organizations from within the inside, making it easier for Batman to take them down. And there's even a fun little back and forth 
at the very end where they talk about that ah, now that there's a documentary about this guy, because that is the reason we're hearing it from the villain's perspective. Yeah. There's a documentary. It's because it's, it, it, they decide to hang it up because of this documentary. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that story? You I think move it's on? like really funny. It's, it's pretty funny. It's pretty goofy the way that that one turns out, especially for the villains. Uh, and it's always fun hearing from the villains from their perspective. Uh, the next story we have Batman's decision by Warren Ellis and yeah. Becky Cloonan. Uh, this one, I don't know. It's, it's okay. It's very mm-hmm. short. Uh, it's just Batman breaks up this warehouse, kind of challenges this guy. He, he shows that he's very clever and he's pre-planned this whole thing. Uh, it's just a really cool action piece of anything. It's just Batman beating up some thugs, and then he gets down to the last one. He's like, I'll blow myself up, I'll kill us all, blah, blah, blah. And then Batman, basically like, try it. Fuck you. (laughs) Batman even makes him cry in it. Yeah, Batman makes this guy cry. Uh, Yeah, that's all that story is. Kind of just a filler story. And this next one is actually my least favorite. Uh, this, This next one feels like it... It villainizes the Batman. It makes him the bad guy of the story. Uh, This one is called Return to Crime Alley by Denny O'Neill and Steve Epting. And is actually involves Leslie Tompkins, who some of you may know as a woman who took in a young Bruce Wayne. She knows his secret identity as Batman. They've crossed paths so many times. Um, But anyways, he, he is taking on these thugs who have broken into the store for some reason. I don't remember. And she's just constantly on him during this, like yeah. uh, not seeing anything from his perspective, the way he's written in the story. It makes him feel like the bad guy, like she's right. But those of us who have read Batman know that this isn't him. Uh, maybe it's supposed to be early days, maybe because this book does span all of Batman continuity. So maybe it's supposed to be early days when he's still really angry uh, which, uh, you know, the Batman always has some sort of sub layer of anger, but this is just abusive to the character of Batman. I think. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on from that one. Not my favorite story in this at all. Uh, did you have any thoughts on that one? No, not really. Okay. Uh, well then we are going to move into heretic by Christopher priest and Neil Adams. Uh, the thing I love about this the most Neil Adams artwork, Neil Adams, legendary DC comics artist, uh, awesome Batman artist. Uh, and it is so good to see new work from him seeing his work on the page. But, uh, the more interesting thing about this is the murder mystery behind this story. He actually ends up taking this to so many different places from New York city, confronting Rachel Ghoul. Uh, to Lasha, uh, where he, he challenges Tan Lajune, uh, who is a member of, uh, uh, the, uh, ninja monks who trained him in, in combat. Uh, because if you remember in recent Batman stories that I'm ta- I'm not talking to you on this one side, cause I know you haven't read this, but, uh, he, he was kind of responsible for, uh, this force trying to take out everyone who had anything to do with creating the Batman and actually ended up killing a lot of these, these ninjas. 
So uh, this is more of a story about them trying to get revenge on him. And that is why it says the beginning rather than the end at the, of this story. Then next is what may be one of my favorite yeah, ones. I love this one. You love this one? Yeah. Are, you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I mean, right, I have I'll do the little thing. intro. It is called I Know by Brian Michael Bendez and Alex Maleev. And it is no surprise that this is your favorite son. Brian Michael Bendez is an amazing, amazing story writer. He is currently writing Superman. He's great. But go ahead and talk about this story. What'd you love about it? Well, it shows old Bruce Wayne talking to the penguin. And then penguin tells the old Bruce Wayne about for all these years, he's known that he was the Batman. Right. And he was telling him about the story. And he was like... About when he finally put it yeah. together. And then it shows that he was about to kill him. But Bruce Wayne tases him and tells him that he knows he already knew. Yes. And Penguin was shocked that he was talking. And then Batman is just like, good vision. Yeah. Good visit. Uh, yeah, I love it. The penguin being so smug here, going like, I almost killed you, blah, blah, blah. And then giving some bullcrap reason about how he realized that, like, if he killed the Batman, it would make things worse somehow. But it's a really bullcrap reason. Uh, and I also love how the penguin in this story is modeled after Danny DeVito's penguin in Batman Returns from the old uh, yeah. 1990 movie. But I just have one question. Where are they? Uh, probably just some nursing home. Oh, well. Yeah, you just know. assume. I mean, because you see those nurses come up and uh, what I assume but, are nurses come up and, and take them away. Or maybe it's some sort of prison because they kind of look like guards, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's some sort of prison. Who knows? And it's obviously the penguin visiting Bruce, as we we can tell from the dialogue. Uh, yeah, very interesting. But either way, it's all in the future. Uh, ooh, man, this is also a contender for my favorite one. Uh, do you remember this story, The Last Crime in Gotham? Oh, yeah. It's like in a while, and it shows like where they go to a table. Mm -hmm. Now, then, first, we got to give credit where credit is due. We got to tell them who wrote it, who who drew it. I want to do this. Jeff. Okay. All right. This is the last crime in Gotham by Jeff Johns and Kenny Kelly no, Kelly Kelly Jones. Uh, yes. Uh, by the way, uh, Jeff Johns may sound familiar to you. Does that sound familiar? Kind of. Well, he was recently in charge of uh, the DC part of WB studios was in charge of those movies and stuff. Uh, if you could call it him being in charge, but more importantly, he is the guy who is known for saving books, saving superheroes, the flash. Uh, they, they were about to cancel the flash book for like the first time. I, I think ever. And he came in, he did flash rebirth, saved the flash now. And he's been going strong ever since. Same thing. They turned green lantern into a villain who ends up killing all the other green lanterns and collecting all the rings. So he can have the power to bring back his city after it's destroyed by a villain and people hated it. People turned on it. They were going to cancel green lantern. Jeff Johns comes in, does green lantern rebirth saves green lantern. Then finally, DC Comics starts failing hard after the New 52. The New 52 was killing DC Comics. They brought in Jeff Johns, and he saved the entire DC Universe with DC Universe Rebirth. <laughs> so Jeff Johns is, is kind of like this guy who, when DC needs him to come in and, and save them, 
he's there. Plus, he's a big figurehead in DC Comics. He's written a lot of amazing classic stories. And let's talk about this amazing classic story. Yeah, it literally shows there was a case and they thought it was like the Joker. Most of the villains are dead or like in a hospital. And it shows one of the villains of his dead. It's the... Um, and they're all wearing various holiday sweaters. Yeah, like the calendar man. Calendar man. Yeah. Which the only time I ever saw him was like Arkham City, the game. Right. So I was like... Only thing I knew from, and he creeped me out in right. the game. And and it takes you kind of up and down. They're standing there with Jim Gordon breaking this down. Like, could it be this person? No. Could it be that person? No. Uh, and, and then finds a card. Yeah, and then it turns out to be the son of the Joker. And now we've skipped over this a little bit, almost strategically, because the most notable thing from this story is that it also takes place in the future. And we've got Catwoman here, who is obviously a little older. We've got an aged Damian Wayne. We've got a daughter, Batgirl, like the daughter of Selina Kyle and Batman. And we've uh, got a bat dog. And we've got a bat dog. And I love this bat dog. He's he's so cute, hilarious. He, he woofs and like they talk to him. It's just great. But essentially, yes, this boils down to uh, end up being the last crime in Gotham. This is the last villain, and he is dead. Ritualistic suicide, leaving a note saying this is what his father would want. Uh, and they shut down the bat signal, and it ends on, it's time for family now, for all of us. And Batman's smiling, and the light goes black. And then I think we jump back to the present. Like, this story takes place in the future. We jump back to the present, and it turns out this is a birthday wish of Bruce Wayne's and something he hopes can be the future of Batman. And that's kind of sad, but also kind of hopeful. It means Batman has big hopes. Moving on from there, though, we have a story called The Precedent by James Tinian IV and Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Anyways... This is a really interesting story. It's not one of my top favorites, but I do love it uh, in the way that it kind of shows the the conversation between Alfred and Bruce Wayne on whether or not to bring Dick Grayson in. And this is right after his parents die. It shows off the youthfulness and the the kind of the the snarky nature of uh, Dick when he was younger, but it also kind of goes back and forth between their conversation and showing scenes of what will become. Uh, uh, Dick Grayson's life as Robin, the friends he'll make, but also the hardships he'll go up against. Uh, the the tandem team up, the thing that'll it'll make Batman's life better. It'll raise a flag to all the other downtrodden orphans in Gotham and say, like, look, you can be something better. It's just a really great story. What did you think about this one? I kind of thought it was all right. I didn't think it find it the best okay so a little boring for you yeah hey you gotta think it's not it, it this isn't this isn't one of those stories about uh the action a lot of people like to joke about how like ready batman was to bring a kid into this crazy world of crime fighting that he inflicted upon himself nobody made batman a, a robin he was never a robin he made himself batman uh, so to bring a kid in was kind of crazy. This shows that he actually was against the idea at first. He, he was going to go the other way. 
and Alfred and Dick both talked him into it. So it kind of shows that Batman had the right idea from the very beginning. And I think that's why it's important. It's important to show that, yes, there was a conversation here. There was a thought to the opposite. It wasn't just Batman recklessly throwing a kid into crime fighting. Uh, so that's why it's important. Second to last, we have Batman's Greatest Case by Tom King, Tony S. Daniels, and Jolie Jones. Uh, this one is a little confusing. I think it's paced a little confusing. And the worst part about that is, and you probably got this too, uh, like a page right here that I'm looking at. Yeah. Tons of text on the, uh, on the page. Bruce Wayne standing in front of, uh, his parents' mausoleum. And there are no signifying markers like in a normal Batman comic book to let us know who's talking. Usually you'll see the, the symbol of the person. You'll see like Red Hood symbol or Red Robins or Batgirl or Batwoman. And that'll let you know who's talking. But these are multiple boxes and you're not exactly sure who's talking except for sometimes they'll say like there'll be a box that says, see, I dated that. And you know from seeing an earlier panel, oh, that's Batgirl. Batgirl. Yeah. Like, but a lot of these are like, pick who you want to be saying it. So it can get confusing. Also, you don't know what the hell they're talking about. And you really, I really like their dialogue. I like when it shows them talking to each other and not just the mysterious boxes. But like when it shows them having their back and forth conversations. I especially think Batgirl and Batwoman's conversation is pretty funny. Uh, but you really don't know what this is all about. And it seems way bigger. And then it just becomes a bat family photo uh which they all like without him saying a word he doesn't say a word he sets up this camera but they all just know to pose i really like the idea behind this story like the idea of like this weird meeting and batman being really mysterious about this and then it turns out he wants to take a photo of all of them that's a really fun idea. Interesting. I also like the idea of a dialogue going on over top of seeing Bruce Wayne visiting his parents' grave. But you got to tell us who's talking, man. You got to be a little less weird about it. It was really weird. What did you think? Yeah, I kind of thought weird. Yeah. Uh, then we break up between this story and the last story with some, uh, some art from uh, various different... Uh, artists, we've got Mike Janin. Uh, we've got Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson. I think this one's my favorite one. That two-page one you're looking at there. Fantastic. With all the villains in the background. The whole Bat family's there. Jim Gordon, Alfred's included. Uh, then we got one by Amanda, Amanda Connor and uh, Paul Mounts. It's okay. <laughs> it's just Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle, like kind of up in the sky and then you got Batman down here brooding on a gargoyle. Uh, but then our final story leads us into the next issue of detective comics. It's called medieval by Peter J. Tomasi and Doug, uh, Mankey. And, uh, it's just, it's told from the perspective of what we eventually find out is the Arkham Knight. And he is talking about how he thinks Batman's the bad guy. And even giving him the benefit of the doubt sometimes when it comes to people like Bane, like you have to use brutality, but basically blaming Batman for all of Gotham's problems and really sensationalizing these things that 
we know why Batman went and fought Raj al Ghul and Talia al Ghul. We know he wasn't going to gain some sort of mort- immortality. But this character of the Arkham Knight, who has been revealed not to be Jason Todd, as he is in the video game, uh, is telling this from, obviously, the legends he's heard. From from the perspective that he has, he doesn't know everything about the Batman. And so he's going off of assumption. He's like, why would he go fight these people in this place? I know that he went there. I don't know what he did. Is he immortal? Is the Batman immortal? You know, it's kind of conflicting inner monologue while also making up his mind that the Batman needs to be stopped. I really like where it's showing the Joker. And it shows like there's batterings all all on the Joker. Like yeah. Oh, and if you notice, Batman has a knife in his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the other great thing about this. I don't know if like Joker's like dead or not. No, 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 no. Batman doesn't kill. (laughs) Batman doesn't kill. Uh, at least main continuity, Batman doesn't kill. Uh, but no, all of these are really great pieces. uh, Really great because each. Page is just one full page with dialogue boxes over top of it about the Arkham Knight talking about his thoughts on Batman. I will say I'm a little frustrated that every single one of these pages has Batman in, in his now current costume, while New 52 is definitely continuity because when he fights the Court Owls, he has a much different costume. <laughs> and so that's that's what bothers me there. But a lot of great visuals in this story. Fantastic artwork. A very interesting lead up. Into the next issue, uh, Detective Comics 1001, which starts us off on this story with the Arkham Knight. Uh, what uh, what overall do you think about this book, bud? I really think it's really good. Really good. What was your favorite absolute, after we went through every single one, what was your absolute favorite story? Um, let's see here. The I Know one. The I Know one. Honestly, I think I started with I Know and I think The Last Crime in Gotham. I think that is my favorite. The artwork I'm not huge on, but the story is so overpowerfully good that it, it phases that artwork out and I can get right on its level. Uh, fantastic. I'm trying to add, get you a copy of Action 1002 so you can read that one because it's a lot like this. It's just a bunch of Superman stories from the past, from the future, like a lot of great stuff in there too. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. It was kind of an impulse buy. I was like, you know what? Let me get one more copy. I'm going to get one for Vin. And so I'm really glad you enjoyed that. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and take this one out. Like this episode if you like it. Subscribe if you love it. You're checking this out somewhere while here. Why not like, comment your thoughts on any of today's stories, your comments on uh, Detective Comics number 1000, and of course, share this. Share it to get it out in front of people and hit that bell on YouTube if you want to know when the newest episodes are up. Like our nerd news page, Sword of My Comics, on Facebook, and follow Sword of My Podcast on Instagram. Check out Subject to Change Entertainment on Facebook and Twitter. And all of our personal media is down in the description below. My name is Vincent Herman, Vin the Human. My name is Vinny Herman, Vinny Wise. And cue that 80 years in the making outro music.